And today on Snap Judgment from WNYC and Snap Judgment's mobile pandemic headquarters, perhaps we can help you find your tribe too. We're calling this episode Buds. Buds. I'm making stories from real people finding their real people. My name is from Washington. And the good news is that if you're listening with someone right now, you've already found your tribe right here on Snap Judgment. Now, our story comes out of San Francisco, late 80s. And it reminds me of kind of the times we're in today when higher powers that were slow to respond to the AIDS crisis sweeping through America and everyday folk, they pitched in to do what they could do to help out. Now, this story does mention the use of drugs and contains graphic scenes. Since of listeners should be advised, our hero, Leah, was just in the fourth grade. Snap judgment. going to the cafeteria because we had a special guest. The special guest was a cop. Like a cop cop. There was a moment of wondering if he was there for me or my family. Like heart-pounding terror. He tried to be chummy with the kids and authoritative at the same time. And then he tells us that we're going to be spending a lot of time together that semester to learn how to just say no to drugs. The program was Drug Awareness Resistance Education, or DARE. It was part of Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign. The idea? To educate kids about the perils of crack, heroin, and marijuana. The cop would say, like, what do you say if someone offers you a cigarette? Just say no. What do you say if someone tells you all the kids are doing it? Just say no. Every time the cop came, the students would break into groups to basically role play, which was stressful for Alia. And I was always the last kid picked. Always the last kid picked. I was into cat sweatshirts and horse sweatshirts. I know I was weird because other kids treated me like I was weird. Alia remembers being assigned the role of the drug dealer. We get a printout with the line that we're supposed to say. Hey, kid, want to try some dope? It'll make you look really cool. Do you want to try some pot? I'd never seen anything like the deal that was on the paper. <laughs> I mean, it. I'm sure it was tempting to say, look, this isn't how it works. But Alia wasn't going to say that. My mom was a drug dealer. Alia knew if anyone found out about her mom's work, her mom could go to prison. Good friends went to jail. And if Alia's mom got caught, Alia could end up in foster care. It was a, a life-shattering proposition. My entire world would be destroyed if anybody found out. It wasn't just police. It was all authority figures. If a teacher found out what my parents did for a living, they could end up in prison because the teacher could tell a cop. If another child my age found out, they could tell a a teacher who could tell a cop. Or they could tell their parents who could tell a a cop. So there's nobody 
who is safe to tell. My mom was really beautiful and and warm. She had like this great asymmetrical kind of Sheila E. haircut, dyed burgundy, short on one side and swept up and then fell over her eye. And part of her attitude was being this outlaw, was being a badass outlaw. And that had always been something that she was really proud of. When she did her deals, people would come over to the house and stay and hang out. She was just really good at advice. And I always felt like I had this incredibly beautiful world Mm -hmm. that nobody could see. When Alia went home from school, she hung out with her mom in the kitchen. My mom in the kitchen is a disaster. She burns toast and eggs. She She can't really boil water. The only thing that was felt really wholesome and warm was making brownies. Alia and her mom would make four or five batches at a time. There would be eggshells and, you know, the chocolate would get splattered on the wall and the flour would end up anywhere and we'd just laugh. And so my first task was pulling out the saran wrap, ripping it on the edge and just making a huge sticky pile of saran wrap squares that the wrappers could then use to wrap the brownies. And then you sit around the table and it was something that that had always been a ritual going on in, in the family where my mom and like good friends would sit around a table together and wrap. I loved it. I loved it. And then that fantastic, fantastic smell. The smell uh, is something that really sticks with me. There's a particular smell of of marijuana, good outdoor-grown California marijuana and chocolate cooking together. It's a very, very specific smell. It's like earthy and sweet. It's this really comforting smell, um, which is funny because it, it, it was something that, you know, also put us in danger. The D.A.R.E. program was just one of Reagan's anti-drug initiatives. He had also launched a campaign targeting California growers. As a young kid back in Mendocino, where people grew weed, Alia heard helicopters thundering over the nearby fields. And you two spy planes swooping over our house. Tanks would come through the town. There were over 100 agencies involved by the mid-80s. And they were dedicated solely to eradicating growing in California, they, they would uh, use m- disused military equipment, infrared photography, and people would get busted, and they would be people that my family knew who were part of the community, who were good people, were just mountain hippies, and it scares your parents, and it scares their friends, so you, you get ingrained um, with this idea of who's good and who's bad. And when you're raised with the idea that you're an outlaw, the bad guys are the cops. I feel like as an adult, it's hard to keep a secret, but as a kid, like, it must have been so hard to keep that secret. I mean, 
A friend of mine was just saying the other night that um, it's like giving a child a gas can and matches and telling them not to burn the house down. Um, And I guess that's true in a way, but I felt, how can I explain this? I felt so much on my mom's team. She just trusted me. Did that feel powerful? Yes, I think so. It is It is special to be part of a secret. As time went on, Alia got more comfortable with the dare cops. As I sort of relaxed into the idea of, oh, this is, this is a joke. This is a big joke. Alia brought her mom dare pens and folders. And um, bookmarks. I had a t-shirt at a point, and I think I won it by giving right answers. The D.A.R.E. logo um, was just D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs. Alia's mom cracked up at Alia's new D.A.R.E. swag. That's in the, in the, of course, in the period where D.A.R.E.'s funny. And then the novelty wore off and it stopped being funny. The next year, when Alia moved on to fifth grade, her mom had started making a lot of house calls. Well, by this point, 1988, people were getting too sick to come out. The cannabis was helpful with nausea and insomnia and pain and depression and a lot of symptoms that just had no treatment at the time. One day, Alia's mom picked her up from school. She had to make a delivery. We went um, into the Castro and up this steep side street. It was a, one of these frilly wedding cake Victorians and had a view over downtown. You could see the Bay Bridge crossing to Oakland. So we go to the door and there was a man standing up on the landing. He greeted us and we start climbing the stairs. It was He was on either the second or third floor and he was backlit. It wasn't until we got closer that I saw the condition he was in. He was shirtless and wearing pajamas and the pajamas were just kind of hanging off his hip bones. He had that really hollowed out look like he'd been hit with a bowling ball, his chest curved around um, this hollowness and um, you could see every bone. He had this huge lesion that, where lesions had like grown together into the shape of a, a butterfly. He, he was so sick. Like it took, it took my breath away and um, He was maybe surprised to see a kid. Um, And my mom said, don't worry, she's cool. And he led us out into a big airy living room. And over by a bay window was a hospital bed that looked empty to me at first. But as we got closer, what what had looked like a tangle of blankets was a person um, barely there. I remember looking at his face and seeing the shape of his teeth through his cheek. I remember looking at the needle going into his into his um, hand, the top of his hand, and all the bruising around it. So what we had was a, a very sick man taking care of a very sick man, which was not uncommon um, in those days. The first guy's name... I, was David. David bends over his lover and he touched his cheek and said, you know, honey, I know you're not feeling good, but I want you to meet a friend of mine. She's brought the magic brownies that I told you about. It'll help you feel better. And um, his lover just couldn't even 
talk. You know, there was he couldn't even talk. And I, as a kid, I knew he, I knew he was dying. Like I knew he was about to die. I was really struck by the tenderness um, between these men, and that even then, like even then, that was what um, kind of crushed me. I walked around while they were doing the transaction, and I remember really clearly seeing a photograph on the mantle of um, <clears throat> a dark-haired man and uh, a beachy blonde with their arms around each other on the beach, and they, they were tan, muscular, and they had sand on their skin and um, smiling and young and in love. My mom, who was who was who had this amazing ability to be upbeat without being abrasive. She was able to make a a joke that, you know, like, don't, don't eat too much. They'll have to peel you off the ceiling. David smiled and he laughed. And, um, and there was just kind of this moment where he looked like the same person. You could see that vitality, the intensity in his eyes, you could, the, his laugh was rich. It was really hard. And my mom and I went out to the car and she, um, she started crying pretty quickly. And I think she was really freaked out about having brought me in. I'm kind of gritting my teeth and I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, but of course I wasn't because I never forgot that. It wasn't funny anymore. I had always felt like I was hiding this rich world, but now it was a rich and terrible world. Like when you talk about the burden of a secret, it was much more of a burden to know about the way that people were dying. That was a burden. At the very least, I maintained the secret. That stays the same, but the, the sadness, the emotion that, that is underneath it changes. The secret stays the same. Special thanks to Aaliyah Vaults for sharing her story with the snap. For more about Aaliyah's mom's business selling weed brownies, order her book, Home Baked. It comes out on 420. The original score for that story was by Doug Stewart. It was produced by Shana Sheely. 